Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. Unlike the vast majority of my interviews, this episode was recorded in person at the 2019 Thriller Fest conference at New York City's Grand Hyatt at Grand Central Station. Enjoy. So coming uh, live from Thriller Fest on a recorded line for later, because live is too scary. Uh, I was speaking with Tom Avatable, and uh, Tom wandered into the uh, station here, has been trying to help me uh, uncover, or uh, I guess uh, fix some tech issues that are way beyond my capability, and we ended up uh, talking for quite a while about many other things. Tom, welcome. I appreciate you walking in and trying to help out a, a total stranger. What an absolute pleasure. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's fun because... Uh, Technology, you know, is always around us, and it's a blessing, and in moments it's a curse, and we were able to take a little bit of the curse off the technology just now. So, I I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see if we can at least at least make it patchwork to get by. Um, so I, uh, you, when talking earlier, uh, you were explaining that you're here with helping with uh, with Craft Fest and helping yeah. other writers, developing writers, uh, aspiring authors coming up through their own journey on the mountain. Sure. Uh, helping them get, get a few steps ahead. What's What's been your involvement? What have you been doing directly here? Well, um, I'm a member of the ITW, which, as you know, creates Thriller Fest, and it's probably the best organization for any in any creative endeavor. And I say that because um, it's accessibility. You have the biggest authors in the world, and you have people who are just dreaming about getting through the first draft, and they're all on the same plane, and you can approach the biggest names in the business and just chat with them. And I don't know any other place in the world where that happens, where a person like Heather Graham with 145 million books in print will just chat you up when you're trying to get through the first draft and figure out like what happens in your own book. And she's there for you. And they're all like that. It's the most amazing thing on the planet. So you get in, this is my eighth year, and you get infused with that. And suddenly this becomes a pay, pay it forward event. And it's the most amazing thing. I mean, look, we're all individual entrepreneurs in our own right. Certainly. But when you get here, it's not so much about you anymore. You see someone struggling or you see someone, you know, for one book in or two books in. And they've got the questions everybody has. And, you know, you're a little timid sometimes. And just reaching out and, and talking to someone and maybe planting a little seed or giving them a little golden nugget. Wow, does that change your life? I got to tell you, it's a great feeling. It's almost like, you know, you got the contract. Yeah. You know, kind of yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vicarious, you know, getting that, live that experience over again, watching someone else get that same, that same, oh, yeah, uh, that same first contract. It's great. And then, you know, today uh, we're, we're having Pitch Fest, which is where you get a chance to talk to an agent that you probably couldn't talk to if you tried. <laughs> yes. And yeah. it's a wonderful experience. And I talk to the agents. I ask them, you know, they're going to see four or five hundred people today wow. in a kind of a speed dating thing yes. and they yeah. can sit down this is what my book's about you know, gonna, after the 35th one is then we're going to remember anything and I asked I said why do you do this you know how many people have you actually you know like said hey kid yeah, you're going to be the that. next star you yeah know? he said it's not about that she said it's about paying it forward so they've wow. got the same head now these are agents you know in any movie you see the agent is always like where's my 10% where's my 15% yeah and yet Again, the ITW in this conference brings out the better nature of everybody. They're here paying it forward. 
And what does that mean? That means you've had the experience of sitting down in front of, in many cases, a, a top New York agent who, again, it, they might get 100,000 submissions a year, you know, and you might be 999, you know, whatever. And here you are talking to them. And they're here not to make money. They're here to pay it forward. Yeah, if somebody shows up and something happens and it clicks, live and be well. Yes. But just the notion of that. So it's, it, it infects you, you know. Yeah. It's great. And especially with the agents having become in the last uh, last few years the real gatekeepers of yeah. most of the publishing industry. You know, it's uh, a lot of publishing houses are not taking queries that are unsubmitted. So, mm -hmm. you know, you were trying to find an agent in order to get any access to a publisher at all. So I would imagine the volume that they're seeing of new submissions and new authors, those aspiring uh, folks coming up the mountain, has increased by orders of magnitude. So mm. for them to be able to come in and sit down and intentionally yeah. Only talk to you know these new folks, and put themselves in that position, um, and and give their time when they may not find anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean that's really astronomical or really phenomenal for them to do that, and it's a really giving thing. Yeah, without a doubt. And and uh, just to double down on this, there's now Consult Fest, and I think we should explain Thriller Fest, uh, Craft Fest, Mastercraft, Consult Fest. Career Fest. There's all these things going on. <laughs> it's it's a lot going on in yeah. a short period of time. Yeah, but it, they're all designed to get access and to have the experience and to get some sort of feedback, both on your what you what you wrote and who you are, mm -hmm. because you're honing your skills, you're honing your pitching skills. Literally, there are elevators in this hotel, and there are people pitching in elevators. So they're doing elevator pitches, literal elevator speech. Literally, yeah. 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 So it's good uh, in that regard. But the Consult Fest is you send 10 pages to the agent or editor, they review it, then you meet with them, you have an appointment, you sit down and they do the most magical thing in the world, which is they give you feedback. And, and uh, That's phenomenal. As a writer, you soon learn getting feedback is gold. Yes. Especially feedback from a professional and someone who's in the marketplace every day who knows what's hot and what's not. Uh, let me tell you, that's gold. Yes. Okay, and Absolutely. they're doing this, and again, it's all pay forward, and and I and I, I go back to the people who run Thriller Fest. I go back to their hearts, their their desire to share. I don't know any other business in the world when someone says, "Yeah, come up, try and try and get me. Come on, come on, yeah, come on, try and do as good as I'm doing." Yeah, I don't know any other place. No, you know, let me let me show you how I do what I do. Yeah. Let me show you my thought process, how how I develop this, how I work my business. I mean, it's not just the just the writing, there is so many aspects to the business of authorship mm -hmm. that if you look at the schedule over the next few days, every one of them is addressed on yeah. you know how to work marketing, how to uh, how to uh, work with an editor, how to do all the things that are necessary for a professional author to exist. Yeah, luckily, there's no how to do a podcast. So you're, <laughs> in, you're in business for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get to pretend to know something, you know. So and when the, when Podcast Fest comes in, I'm I'm out of luck. Podfest. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. As soon as it comes to tech fest, too, clearly yeah, we're, yeah. we're both uh, out yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll probably be coming as an early submission of that one just to get the, uh, the, the training. You know, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Well, for for readers who are and listeners who are new to you, Tom, um, tell us about your career and your development as as a writer and how you came to be in in this uh, field in this business. Well, um, I was always a storyteller. I have a hard time believing that, but go yeah. ahead. Um, and um, I would tell stories, and I learned how to tell a story. I learned how to delay the beat, delay the payoff, 
go a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, keep it interesting, you know, look at the scenery for a second, then come back to the main line. And uh, I realized that that's what I did. I was a storyteller. So my first uh, exposure to all this was uh, film, uh, shooting, producing, directing, um, and then screenplays, natural extension. Uh, and in writing screenplays, you learn about action. You know, screenplay just can't be two people talking about their belly button. They've got to move, you yeah. know. And action is a key thing. And, and most first-time writers, you know, I think John Sanford today said, well, if the first, you know, page is a description of weather in Vermont, you're not going anywhere. But you get a lot of that because they don't understand action. They understand movement, flow. Um, and screenplays is a wonderful kind of like place to, to hone that skill uh, but that's a whole nother big problem in terms of getting anywhere in screenplays yeah. but if you if you understand the nature of it my was very lucky my first number one uh, book which was called The Eighth Day was a screenplay that was out in Hollywood uh, at uh, Tom Cruise's company and uh, for various reasons Hollywood issues it wasn't picked up on um, and I wrote it as a book and because it had that forward shark motion of never stopping and keeping moving, I'm a thriller writer. <laughs> <laughs> I like that forward shark motion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's what a thriller is, you know. Uh, you know, the mystery is who done it. The thriller is we know who's going to do it. We got to stop them, right? right. And and the that can't stop. It can't literally stop to smell the roses. Although we do it, and we yeah. and and the analogy there is, we go to the human. We go to the the internal struggle of the hero, any any good thriller worth its salt, the first obstacle and the biggest obstacle to overcome is the internal of the hero before they can be effective in the exterior world. And if you don't have that, it's a cartoon, it's flat. But overcoming that, whatever it is, you know, in, in Jaws, he, you know, he couldn't go in the water, you know, he didn't swim, and he's a shark, you know. So he has to overcome that. I mean, it's just, it's classic. So when you structure a thriller, you have to be mindful that your protagonist has got to have internal issues to overcome, which makes them human as a touch point. So you can have a guy like Mitch Rapp, or you can have a character that's almost Superman-like, but if he doesn't have human touch points that I as an accountant, I as an electrician, I as a teacher, I as a person who works in a bank can't relate to, it's a cartoon. Yeah. But if he's got suddenly human issues, he's got a daughter he's got to deal with, he's got to take out the garbage, he's got tax problems, whatever, you know, in the background. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, right. And that's exactly the point. Yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah. So you can you can appreciate the super, you know, creative, wonderful storyline you put together, but you can connect to the touch points of the character. And I believe, going back to Shakespeare, the reason why stories endure and become classics is because they deal with the underlying basic aspects of humanity and what it is to live in this world and 400 years ago or yesterday they're really the same and if you yeah. touch those elements i think you're dealing with a kind of longevity that could be considered a classic or an epic and i think that's what we all try to do so the the you may come for the action but you stay for the humanity yes and we should we should never lose sight of that um here at, at, at Thriller Fest, you, you meet a lot of people coming from different disciplines, doctors, lawyers, yes. uh, people who 
want to write what they know. They say, write what you know. So a lawyer shows up with a, a legal, legal thriller, thriller. Yeah. and the doctor shows up with a medical <laughs> thriller, yeah. and the psychiatrist shows up with a psychological thriller. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. Hey, I know about this stuff. Yeah. And the techno technician, the engineer, I get all that. Writing books has nothing to do with that. And I told one of the gentlemen here, he was a tech guy, I said, listen, makeup. He said, what? I said, makeup. The way you would say the, the, your lead character or one of the characters in your book put on eyeshadow is the exact same depth you should have in technology. Don't become Max Factor yeah. about the eyeshadow. Don't become an expert in technology because that's your strong suit. It all has to be balanced. So throw away everything you know about technology because you're writing now. This is all fiction. And fiction, my line is, and this may not even be true with a pen name, everything after your name in the book is up for grabs. It's totally fiction. There's no reality there. It's an it's a agreement you make with the reader. I'm taking yes. you on a journey. And your only thing is just don't question me too much. Go along with it a little yep. bit. And I'll do the game of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the distraction and everything. And I'll give you a great ride. You know, just don't look out the window when I tell you not to look out the window. Yeah, just <laughs> keep, keep, keep your eyes over here. Right, yeah. right. And that's our job, yeah. you yeah. know. But if you suddenly develop, let me show you how much I know. Right. You know, and <laughs> oof. Yeah, when, when you're, when you're, Thriller becomes a, uh, a, a nonfiction techno journal about yeah, exactly. a, a topic. Or um, I think for uh, a recently read uh, book that I thought trended too far away from thriller and ended up almost in a little bit of fantasy. Mm. And, you know, for for me as a thriller reader, that that became the tough point right. when it just went a little bit too far. You mm -hmm. know, I, I don't think that... Um, writing in the genre that you have to be a hundred percent accurate or authentic. It's like you said, it's fiction. Yeah. You know, this this is make believe. We're sure. we're giving the the writer some uh, some leverage here or yeah. some some leeway, and you know, uh, but you do have to make it believable enough to keep us in the story and keep us in that fantasy world. Exactly. And, you know, if you can do that, that's what I think readers are looking for. We're looking to be pulled out of our own lives and into this. Yeah. this outer environment for a few hours. We are in the entertainment business. Yes. We're not doing uh, nonfiction. We're not doing self-help books. We're in the entertainment business. People want to open that book, get into it, and have a reason not to put it down. We do that. We've done our job. It's good story, well told at all times. And then my other line is, it's something happened to somebody. Yes. That's a book. Okay? It's very simple and yet very complex. The key thing for me is to constantly reference what's going on with the characters. They are the touch point for the reader. They may not know about technology or nuclear reactions or B-2 bombers or the inner workings of the New York City subway. Okay? That's fine. I'll get you through that. But if you don't care about the person... None of it matters. None of it matters. Yeah, yeah exactly. So... That's where you got to constantly keep bringing it back to. And look, it's it's not easy because those things are bright, shiny objects that distract us. You know, I may be I have a mastermind group, okay, and I've been lucky. I've got guys that were in the White House, people that are doctors. I've got people who have uh, been uh, on ships, uh, gun guys, cops. I mean, I got pretty much every discipline that a thriller would hit. You got a guy for that. I got a guy for that, yeah. or, or a lady. Yeah. And they, 
I send them my book before it goes even to the agent or even my publisher. And my deal with them is I send them a red pen. And I've actually, you know, I actually yeah. do this. And I said, circle anything that stops you. Circle anything that slows you up. More importantly, circle anything that would be a how-to to the bad guys. Because yes. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got guys in uh, Joint Terrorism Task Force. i got guys in Homeland Security. They go through it. They really do. And they circle things. They, I wouldn't say that, you know. And I had a chemist change a formula and said, no, it's dangerous. Yeah. You know, change it to something else. And thank God, okay. Yeah. But the... My deal with them is I won't let your facts get in the way of my story, and I won't include your facts in my story. You know, if you stumble, yep. great. So, for example, in one of my books, I have a asynchronous relay. What's that? I don't know. <laughs> but there's an asynchronous relay. And um, I needed it to be this big thing that you can attack with a uh, forklift, okay? So I described, I had uh, the engineer goes, well, that's the asynchronous relay system. That would cut out in any deviation of frequency. And the, my protagonist is a female FBI agent says oh that big thing that looks like a mousetrap and he says yeah it does look like a mousetrap and for the rest of the book it's a mousetrap perfect you know what I'm saying yeah so you scratch a little bit of techno itch then you get off of that right away because you don't want the you know me go my eyes glaze over you don't want to say look how smart I am yeah. <laughs> asynchronous relays everywhere no, you don't <laughs> want to do that um because at the end of the day it's enjoyment yeah and it, it, you know so the the plot is they defeat this giant mousetrap with iron girders that when it goes to drop out and disconnect the city they have this iron girder that is keeping the connection going so they jumped the safety switch with a forklift and a you know yeah okay it's all made up yeah. right so homeland security reads it droid terrorism task force reason they come back and they say you know, this, that asynchronous relay. I said, don't worry about it. I made it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, great, 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 great. <laughs> now it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, they didn't know. Yeah. You know? And they, oh, yeah. You can't know everything. Yep. Right? I agree. And and that's, I just want to say one more thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come up and go, you are so smart. Oh, my God. How do you know all this stuff? And if I don't know them, I say, well, you know, I have good people. But if I know them, I say, what are you talking about? I made it up. <laughs> Yeah, you, you clearly didn't read the author's note in the back. <laughs> yeah. And I do that. I do that. I, I have a, in yeah. the back of this last book. I have so you can sleep tonight. Yeah. Oh, that's okay? perfect. Because that's that perfect. my yeah. my uh, my the my current book is a non nuclear, non biological, non chemical attack on New York that's more devastating than any NBC. Okay, how did they do it? And that's what had the guys at Joint Terrorism Task Force. They said, "You got us. We tried to figure this out." And what I did was every time somebody thought they were close, I'd have a character say, oh, well, they're going to do this. And somebody would say, no, they can't do that because. And the guys at JTTF were doing the same thing. Oh, they're going to, oh, no, wait, the character just said they can't do that. Yeah. They believe me. So they eliminated that, right? Yeah. But I did come up with a way to do it. It's a two-prong approach, a two-prong attack that's meticulously done. No, by the way, all science faction. Real science stuff. Faction, yeah. Applied creatively but nothing i d- did or is said in the book isn't real it's just how i apply it so for example with the with the asynchronous relay i turned it into a giant mousetrap it's actually a thing on the wall that's the size of a water cooler you know but i made it big and i made it part of the book so yeah. we could have this guy try and defeat it much better focal point yeah, yeah. and yeah. more uh, visual more mm-hmm. action you know than pushing a button yeah. on the switch you know um a forklift versus just a fork. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think. Uh, fork, so- forklift. <laughs> Let me think. What, what works? Better uh, solution. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so to, well, I guess what I'm saying is everything past your name, and if you have a nom de plume, your name, it's all fiction. We have no obligation to the truth. All we have an obligation to is feasibility, plausibility. So I use science faction. I give you two real things, and then I kind of smush the third. So in the end of the book, I said, so you can sleep tonight. The water mains are here. The asynchronous relay is actually there. There are trip wires all through the system. If anybody tried to do anything in this book, they would be caught. And then I went, on second thought, knucklehead, try this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We'd like to yeah, know who you are. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. that's how solid it is. But yes. in the book, you can change the distance between mm-hmm. things. You can make things easier than they appear. You can yeah. drop off a safeguard that you know is there. So that if anybody really tried to do it, you know, they get caught in a second, which would be great, I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We want to know who those folks are. They're just yeah. interesting. You know, it's just interesting to know who's about to kill yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, with... You know, having haven't spent the last, I don't know, you've been in here for probably what, close to an hour now, trying to help me un. It'll be on the bill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfect. Send me the invoice. Um, so, ba- based on everything you said about Thriller Fest and about your mentality of being here and having had this much quality time with my favorite Uncle Tom, um, <laughs> my 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 guess is that growing up as an aspiring writer, someone was a mentor to you the way that you're mentoring now. Who who was your first writing mentor and what was that relationship like you know i wish i I could get into the growing up part but all through school the the hardest thing i could ever do and the thing i didn't do was compositions hated grammar don't know anything about it in fact i'm the last guy on the planet that should have a book it should be (laughs) no i'm serious i i I did a, a a web series called the accidental author you know um Believe me, there are English teachers, if they've passed, they're turning over in their graves, and if they're alive right now, they're thinking about suicide. Because I, there's, no re- there's no reason for me to have a book. I'm, I, I don't know anything about literature. I, you know, I got a box full of commas at home I've never used, and my editors know that because they keep putting more in. Um, it's, it's totally ridiculous you know, that I have a book that I have five books, that I have over a million words in print, that I have three number one bestsellers. It's not fun, okay? In fact, you, you sit here at a place like Thriller Fest and people say, oh, I, I sold uh, you know, 10 million books. How many did you sell? And I say, five. <laughs> and it went five? I said, yeah, the first five I ever wrote. <laughs> because the, the other people, you know, they wrote 10 books before they got published, you know? Yeah. I, I hit it on the first one, thank God, I'm yeah. lucky. Um, but... I'm the proof, I'm living proof that anybody could write a book. Believe me, okay? Because it's a muscle. Because if you get into it, the fr- and it's all I would say to anybody's aspiring writer, if you don't love the process, get into aluminum siding. <laughs> because the, the process, if you don't want to get back to that manuscript, if you don't want to get back into that story, like having woken up from a great dream and want to go back to it, you know, sometimes that's not easy to do or it doesn't happen. Yeah. But when you're writing a book, you have the last sentence you just wrote. You get back into that world. You can get back into those characters. You can get back into all that good stuff that you just can't wait to expose, you know, on paper or on the screen and see where it goes. And you're, you're as much on a voyage of discovery as whether you're an outliner or a pantser, which is a whole other argument. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. 
if you love the process, if you love digging back in there and going back for the polish, going back for the rewrite, if you writing on the subway and you say, oh, it's a better word, you know, if you're not into it at that level, it's going to be very hard, like I was. Okay, so what's the story? I started writing screenplays because they weren't really about literature. Screenplay is not a literary document. It is a blueprint for a movie. There's dialogue in it, and there's slug lines that tell you where, to, where the camera's going to go and all that stuff. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. it's like cheating, you know, and it's about mostly dialogue, you know, <clears throat> and we all speak. So we kind of know dialogue, like I'm doing right now, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, as, as, an entry, as an entry level creativity screenplays, um, I, did, I never wrote a book till I was, well, what's 10 years ago? 50? Wow. 50 years old, whatever that is. I think I'm cheating. It's probably 55. Well, you don't look a day over 75, so it's, it's been kind. Well, thank you, you young <laughs> whippersnapper. I appreciate that. I really do. I hope i got to put my teeth back in now. Um, but the point is, um, it's storytelling. Now, I cheated a little bit. I've been, a, I've been a creative director at an advertising agency for 40 years. So I write commercials. I write copy. I write pitches. Okay. Um, so it's, I'm not a stranger to words. Long form, writing a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> never entered my mind now screenplay is 120 pages you make that format it's probably 40 pages of a book wow. right uh, but it's also usually the prime arc so three of my number one bestsellers are previous screenplays that were wow. optioned in produ- you know in some form of production but you know Hollywood oh Taylor whoa yeah I got yeah. money but nobody made it yeah. uh, but I changed, turned them into books because they had the uh, primary arc of the story already there. So it was kind of outlined. And then I, if that was the bones, I added the meat and just kept going back, kept going back and layering it. So I was lucky that way. So my inspiration, <laughs> I, 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 well, I can only tell you, my first editor, who then became my publisher, an incredible man named Lou Aronica, who, when you say Lou's name here, everybody goes, oh, how's Lou? He's great. He's a great guy. Um, Lou uh, started out as the editor of my first book um, at purely, it, it was a pay forward. Uh, he's the guy. You just asked me, I just put it yeah. together. He's the guy. Okay. He edited my whole book without a penny. When I met him, I, wow. the, the deal was I was supposed to pay him $30,000 because I had this idea for a book. And the, my, the agent said, you can't write a book. I'm going to bring Lou in because I'm just a screenplay writer. Okay. Right? And then I was supposed to pay him $30,000 or something. And I said, this is a short conversation. I left. And Lou gets on the elevator with me. Elevator, pitch. Yeah. And he says, that's a great story. And I said, if you think that story's great, you see the one I'm writing. At the time we, ding, elevator opens the floor, we walk out, he says, send me the book. I said, I don't have any money. He says, send me the book. So I sent him the book, right? So he says to me, I probably won't be able to get there till after Christmas because I'm busy. I said, I don't have any. (laughs) (laughs) Let me be clear, yeah. Cutting the turkey. The cell phone rings. I pick it up. It's Lou. He says, I just sent you the first 50 pages. I said, what does that mean? <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. Pages of what? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I said, I don't have any click. Well, that went on for a year. And he not only edited the book. I had to force him to take you know, any kind of recompense for it. But he compelled a better book. Now, I, I'm not a writer, Okay. And he was able to not be a frustrated writer, not tell me, no, no, do it like this. Yeah. He compelled. He organically brought out of me a better book. At one point, he said, you know, you need a subplot. And I said, 
what's a subplot? And he said something. In the, so I wrote a 75-page story. I didn't know I could do that. I wrote a 75-page story outside the book of a female FBI agent and a retired New York City detective whose wife has cancer. Wow. has nothing to do with my book. And how he is being hired by a uh, Silicon Valley guy whose life is being threatened, whose father was a cop. But he won't go to his father. He's going to my guy. And he's feeling bad now. Like, what if my son, you know, would he? I've got all this crap going on in there. And I got this female. And I originally had him, Dennis and Denise. I was playing <laughs> that game, you know? Yeah, yeah. And she was a female. And she was active. And he wasn't. And at one point, they go after the bad guy. And he says, well, whose car do you want to take? She says, let's take mine. I got all the guns and stuff. <laughs> you know? And they get in the car. And they go after this guy. And he's an environmental terrorist who's about to blow up uh chlorine tanks on the Jersey Turnpike and create a cloud that's going to wipe out 8 million people in New York in their sleep. Yeah. Small story. Yeah. This yeah. is 75 pages. So I finished the thing and I like a deck, imagine a deck of cards. Yep. I took the 75 page story and the 300 page book and I went <laughs> and I interleaved it. The most email I got on that book was between Dennis or Dennis and then Brooke. I changed her name to Brooke at the end. That was the best part. Why? I, I was a better writer at yeah. the end of the book to yeah. write 75 words, uh, 75 pages of words, you know? Um, and that shows it's a muscle. Yes. Now, I, this brilliant idea in, in retrospect was interleaving it through the book because when you're reading the book, it's like, oh, that guy can write. Oh, he really writes. Oh, he can't really write. Oh, he can really write. Oh, he can't really write. Oh, he can really write. So, you know, it's interleaved. Yeah. But it proved to me that writing is a muscle. So by the time I made the Brooke Burrell series, you know, which is five books later, I had her down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and there's some great stories about that, which I won't bore the audience with. But the point is, you people say, oh, I'm going to read your first book. I cringe a little bit like, yeah, but I'm much better than that now. You should read the last yes. one first, you yeah. know, and then go back and, you know, be my friend when you read that one, you know. <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, I, I have a, a, a real similar experience in that I, when I started writing, it was, uh, I was just going to write one book and... It, it started out as this like 750 page opus that was mm. a, a very a, a very realistic uh, story about the the current case or the the current environment in the southwestern U.S. where domestic and foreign terrorists very very closely aligned, even if by accident. Mm. So um, the best advice I got from an editor friend was, you need to cleave this into two books, mm. um, and after writing those, then it's kind of like the other books kind of just started showing up. Um, wow. And I started getting really serious at that point about developing my craft and improving my writing and especially improving a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of the reader expectations, a lot of the, the specific aspects of deliberately writing a thriller and paying very close attention to the genre and and the things that readers subconsciously want to see in these books. And somebody that buys uh, my my number nine book, like I, when somebody's like, oh, I wanna go back and read this domestic terror book, I'm like, mm. so let me tell you a few things. <laughs> <laughs> Page 32 yeah. has a typo. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've developed a lot as a writer since then, so. You know, um, get, get the re-edit. It'll come out later this year. You'll love it. Yeah, yeah I have one of those. In, um, I, I was first published by Borders. I was very lucky. I was the second book Borders published. Um, and they they picked me up. It was a crazy story. Uh, but when they said they were going to publish my book, I went, hold on, wait, stop. Say that again. 
He said, we're going to publish a book. And I said, is that what that sounds like? <laughs> you know. Um, prank but, caller, prank caller. Yeah, right, exactly. So anyway, uh, they, they, I, had a, I had written this, can I say sex scene on the radio? Okay. I had written this sex scene uh, that was a kind of a, a senator and a, and, a, and a kind of a Hollywood Academy Award winning actress. Uh, she lets all the servants go from her Beverly Hills mansion and they have this matinee, right? And I got it really kind of detailed, but I don't believe in, graphics you know so i just kind of hitting it around yeah. but um it ends in a murder suicide like mm. instantly wow right but the whole book the whole chapter when i was in la i realized everything had a pedigree you couldn't just have a car you had to have you know uh rudolph valentino's ex you know old car okay. and you couldn't yeah. just live in a house you had to live in a house that Cary grant lived in yeah. and everything had that petty pedigree <laughs> right yeah. so i wrote this whole thing and the subtext was everything she touched had a petty pedigree, you know, wow. because, you know, so yeah. she, the, the bone china and the, the air filtration system, she had the studio, you know, the kimono that some Japanese mogul guy gave her that was part of some concubine from Empire Pass that she called a schmata, you know, that she wore <laughs> and all this stuff. And I'm playing this petty pedigree thing. Anyway, when they published the book, it's pretty pedigree. <laughs> that doesn't change anything. I was a chapter title. It's bugging me to this day. Yeah. <laughs> when we republished the book, I had to change the petty pedigree. But there's, you know, four or 500,000 books out there, yeah. you know, that are wrong. And if, I, and if anybody's got one, I'll come to your house and I'll cross that out and I'll change it. <laughs> but, I mean, those are the We've things you remember. We've got a sticker we'll put right over the top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great idea. I was using, I was using Sharpies. Yeah, I could actually. Yeah. That's a great idea with yeah. the stickers. See, I learned a lot yeah. here. You can put the sticker in the mail. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just call and request. Go to with Tom's website. Yeah. I, no, I can yeah. do a YouTube video. When you yeah, get the book, take yeah. the sticker, put it on the... <laughs> Send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Tom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sticker request. Um, so looking at looking at what writers in the current environment, public, current publishing environment, need to know if they want to get something marketable in the next couple of years, what do they need to be doing today? Yesterday was put girl in the title. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Period. Yeah. End of story. No, that's very cynical. Um I don't believe anybody here knows the answer to that question. I don't believe anybody here is giving consistent advice to that question. Well, maybe. Um, but he, here's what I mean. Um, Sidney Pollack mm -hmm. was a, and uh, American treasurer as a director. He said, and I don't know if he's, I don't remember now if he said it to me personally, but I don't remember Tom in front of it, but it seems yeah. like it. <laughs> but he said, nobody starts out to make a bad movie. <laughs> And when you think about that, yeah. you say, okay, yeah. And nobody says, let's take you know, 30, 40 million dollars and make a bomb. Yeah. What happens? Isn't there a movie about that plot? I, I think that that's a movie about a movie. I think <laughs> yeah, probably. Movie, yeah. movie, yeah. movie. Yeah. But the, you think about it, and I, I'm going to use the film analogy because it's so much simpler. Um, if anybody knew how to make a hit movie, they'd make one every day. That's all they do. Yeah. That's all you do, yeah. right? Yeah. Yet, that doesn't happen. Movies are over 100 years old. Why hasn't anybody figured that part out yet? Because of what we were talking about before. Can you resonate within the heart and soul of a human being? And what does that? What's the alchemy? What's the magic formula that reaches into somebody externally, reaches their insides, and creates an emotion inside of them that makes them feel that they're there, they're experiencing it, make a sympathetic, empathetic connection? Nobody knows how to do that. 
And I'll, I'll give you one quick example. There's a movie being shot. The director gets on the set. This is the last day of shooting. This is the big scene. Lots of extras, big set, smoke machines, everything, two main stars. He walks on, there's nothing there. And he says, Sabrina, what's up? And he says, we're out of money. He said, what? He said, remember when I told you two weeks ago you should shoot faster? We're out of money. He said, but this is the big scene. This is the most important scene in the movie. He says, we're out of money. He said, well, get me a car. I'll shoot it in the car. He said, let me shoot in a car. I'll shoot it in a car. He says, we can't do a car. We don't have any background projection. We don't have any. He said, bring me a car. Put, put Venetian blinds in the car. He says, who's got Venetian blinds in the car? Just do it. Nobody's going to care. So they do it. Okay. Fast forward 20 years later. They're doing a movie. There's a sequence. There's a special effects sequence. It's a plane crashing into an amusement park. They spent $500,000 on this scene. The director sees the take and says, not enough flames. Do it again. They rebuild the model amusement park. They recrash. It's a million dollars. I'm going to take you back to the $800,000 movie, you know, 20 years before. So the two actors get in the back of this car with Venetian blinds, and one of them says, I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. <laughs> that is a moment in film history that will last forever with Rod Steiger and Marlon Brando, except for the ticket for Palookaville, right? Yeah. The other one was 1941 by Steven Spielberg. Do you remember that at all? I don't. <laughs> I, there was 1942... But that was, uh, that was, that was something else. That was a yeah, war, yeah. That was something else. So my point is, the and the reason for that long, boring story, is to say, nobody knows. Ilya Kazan said, you give me Brando, and you give me the Rod in the car, and I'll create a scene that will live forever, and it'll be Academy Award from On the Waterfront, 1954, even Marie Saint. And a bunch of people found the kid that made Jaws and gave him I don't know, 50, 60 million dollars to make another one. And it turned into 1941. I'm not slamming Steven Spielberg. I'm saying it's the mercurial alchemy of what we are trying to do every day, which is tell a, a, a good story well told. That's the hardest thing. And to me, as I said before, something happens to somebody is the key. And it's as simple and as massively difficult as that. And it, so to say to somebody, kid, make a 1941 movie or make On the Waterfront isn't going to help anybody. It has to, the reason why this works is it comes from you. It comes from inside your soul. It comes from what's burning in you. It comes from what you want to say. And it doesn't matter what somebody else just said and made a million dollars on because that's already been done. And it doesn't matter what you think tomorrow's going to be, like throw a dart at a calendar and see where it's going to land. That doesn't matter either. Those two things, all you have in that scenario is luck. You hit it by accident. The only thing you can really count on is what's inside of you. And if you're true to that and you can get the transparency between what you're feeling and your emotions, and you can transmit it through squiggly little lines on a piece of paper, and another human being can look at those squiggly little lines and suddenly feel what you felt and experience what you experienced, You've got a connection. You've got something that has a chance of enduring because it resonates within a human being. And we are all, I think, human beings until the sentience take yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So five to ten years and then it's all Five to ten years, yeah, you got to write yeah, code. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that yeah. too long? I, I'm sorry. I, I need editing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's what post-production is for. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I said a bad yeah, word. Turns out I'm, I'm terrible at setting up a podcast. I'm great at editing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have you in and out in 15 minutes. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so I, I think one of the things that, that seems to, to me to be the, the, a real consistency with this is that it has to be an intrinsic process. Yep. And not that, you know, I'm, I'm necessarily writing a story for me. I mean, I'm obviously writing for, for a reader. Mm-hmm. But I have to get intrinsic fulfillment out of the product I produce regardless of what happens. I think anybody that, that sets out and says, this is going to be a bestseller, you don't know that. Nobody exactly. knows that. Right. You know, like you said, if, if there was a formula, if people knew how to do it, we wouldn't do anything else. That's you right. Know, 80% of the books in the bookstore wouldn't go to pulp. Right. You know, there would be the, the, the whole landscape changes. You know, so I think you have to be writing something that you're satisfied with, that you want to read, that you want to write, that you want the world to hear, and hopefully write it in such a way that it resonates with other people, that, that they get that fulfillment, that joy out of it that you intended. And if five people buy it, if 500 million people buy it. Yeah. But there's that connection. I, I think that's what you have to shoot for. At the at the risk of making this interview go on too long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I totally agree with what you just said. And, and I'm going to make an analogy now that just hit me while you were talking. I say that the hero's journey first starts with overcoming what's inside, what's yes. internal. I think the writer's journey, I'm just coming up with this. So this is fresh, kids. You know, <laughs> don't, don't take it. That, but... I think sometimes we have to get out of our own way. Like I told this guy, you know, dump the tech, make it as as important as she put on eyeshadow. As much as you know about eyeshadow, that should be as much as you know about tech because it's a device to use in the story. And I'm thinking now, maybe the hardest battle for an author to be is to get over themselves, is to get themselves out of the process. And what I mean by that is the conscious manipulation and let their unconscious flow let them connect to the, and maybe this is good for me too, connect to the the raw emotion and try to capture that by some sort of word or connection of words or pacing of words that feel right going out. So maybe they'll feel right coming in to someone else. And maybe that's the key, to, to be able to kind of let it flow from whatever source you're getting it from and not try to sh- force it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, as I'm saying it, I see why it doesn't work, but yeah. I also see why it does work. Well, you know, <laughs> I think, you know, from writing something that, that's not necessarily, you know, when we were talking about authenticity earlier and being, you know, accurate in, in, in writing that super techno thing, like, I don't mean authenticity like that, but writing something that is that is genuine, that is authentic to yourself and to your soul, I think will be more important than trying to write to market or trying to write to I agree with that. I'm going to be number one because of this yeah. concept. Yeah, again, you, you, if anybody could do that, they'd do it. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I think you're 100% right. Chasing a market or, or hitting, writing to some high concept or idea is, as soon as you have it, it's old. Yeah. You know, as you're soon as you know about it. it. Yeah, so people, people call me all the time. Oh, I read in the Times. They're looking for this. By the time you read it in the Times, <laughs> it's already dead. You know, nobody yeah. wants it anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you, the only choice left is your internal compass, your internal navigation, your internal sense of right and wrong, and how what you want to do to, look, we write to affect people. 
-hmm. We write to share an experience that we either had or we'd like to have. You know, in the back of my books, I I, I give a lot of notes to my mastermind group, people that help me, people that help me along the way. And I say, you know, thank you to the people who helped me write about lives I've never lived. Wow. Okay. That's what we do. We write about lives we've never lived in the main. I mean, if you're a doctor writing about doctors, obviously that's good, but you have to have another character. It has to be a cop. You're not a cop, okay? But you have to be just as true to the cop as you are to the doctor, which means dial down the doctor (laughs) so the cop isn't, isn't, you know, sitting there as a a second also ran. So you have to be equal. And in lives you've never lived is what we write, you know, and in circumstances that never existed. Or we start off with it. A little bit of what exists, and then we improvise, or we, we uh, enhance it, or whatever, and then fictionalize it. Yeah. That's important, and I and I, I think that getting it back to Thriller Fest, I think there is a, a kind of, uh, uh, I don't want to use zeitgeist because it's an old word, but there is a feeling around here that you can do it when you sit with someone who's got 150 million books, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, and and they ha- they say the same thing to you that you're going through right now. You say, my God, it, it is a individualized process. And even though this person has editors and you know big publishing companies and his movies have been made, uh, you know you know who I'm talking about. They're all over here. You know everybody. It's still a one person sitting alone, expressing themselves on a piece of paper or on a screen, hoping that the next human being who reads this will have the same reaction. That's what it comes down to. And I rest my case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Order in the court. There you go. So, uh, in my experience, the the best writers, the most prolific writers, are also the most ferocious readers. Um, since this is a crime-focused show, do you have a favorite fictional detective or investigator that you're reading right now or that you've historically read? Uh, Your Honor, I'd like to point out that that answer was asked and answered. Um, as I said before, I, w- I was classified, this is going to make people cry, I was classified in school as functionally illiterate. Wow. And the reason why I was classified as functionally illiterate was my book at five years old, not five years old, sorry, fifth grade, was Elements of Radio. The thing that I read through the summer of sixth grade <laughs> <laughs> was electronic circuits, okay? Wow. My whole life was technology, and I hadn't read any of the books. And literate for them meant you don't know any literature. You didn't read, you know, uh, Great Expectations. You yeah. didn't read Gone with the Wind. Yeah. And that was the only touch points teachers had to say what you were. So I was functionally illiterate. And it was on my, it's on my permanent record, wherever the hell that is, okay? Um, and I was fine with that because... I was going to be an engineer. I was going to invent yeah. a computer. At 14 years old, I did build a computer in an attaché case. Wow. Unfortunately, instead of getting, it got me to IBM. It got me noticed by IBM. It got me a scholarship to MIT. But what it did also did, I got a job at NBC. I walked in there one day trying to sell them a computer, and they wound up giving me a job. And at 14 years old, I was Chet Huntley's assistant. Well, wow. When I was 15. But I was at NBC News. You can only do that in New York. You can only do it before 9-11. You can only do it when there were no guards, just elevator yeah. operators. Yeah. And all that happened, and it all went the right way. But I, I got involved in media. I got involved in television. I, got in, I, used to go into, I used to go into the Day Show studio. Uh, 
I can't get arrested. But I used to go into the day show studio where the FCC first came to see color. I take an RCA TK44 camera, which is this big old thing. It looks like a Ford, right? And I would point it at the exit sign. Then I go into the, the switcher, which was a, a hob job of all kinds of external stuff where they first showed the FCC color. So it was a black and white switcher that was updated for color. This is big stuff. And it was wow. all kinds of outboard stuff and wires. It was crazy. This is the, the Today Show came out at the 3K studio. Nobody locked studios at night, so I'd go in there because I worked at NBC News and I right. worked at night, you know, because yeah. I was a kid going to school. My mother wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes, you know, to go to go to work. I go to work and then I go to school. Anyway, so I pointed at the exit sign. I pointed at a light. And I go in and I throw the switcher. I'd learn dissolves, keys, effects, wipes. I learned, taught myself at NBC, you know, in a, at that time, I guess it was a $10 million studio. Fortunately, one morning they came in, they pointed the camera at Barbara Walters, and there was the shadow of exit over her face <laughs> because the Plubicon tubes burnt in. So they saw that, and they had to wash it. What they do is they take the camera and focus it on a bright light and wash the lens so that the burn that okay. was in the tube yep. got burnt further. And that, So then they started locking the studios. <laughs> story i'm not lying statute of limitations is way up on this yeah i hope so so but um that transition into media that transition into uh telling stories you know news is telling stories uh, all of that changed my life from that perspective um and the can we go back because i forgot what i was talking about (laughs) But all, all I was looking for was a, a favorite fictional investigator. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, okay. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. Even, and normally, <laughs> when I ask a question on, on the show, normally, so I like, like we talked earlier, I, I, I do remote stuff. So I got pages of notes before right, right. anybody ever sits down. And uh, so normally, I, I read that off. And so it's always, you know, fictional investigator or crime series, you right. know, like, like television series. Oh, and my answer was yeah. I'm functionally illiterate. Right. I never read a book until Tom Clancy wrote a book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you hear that when I said Tom Clancy? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the angels on high. Yeah, so when I read Tom Clancy, okay, it was, and and this sounds stupid, it was the first book I ever actually finished, period. If you're only going to finish one book, that's the one, That's the book to finish. And then I read the entire series, okay? Um, And maybe that's why they call me a techno-thriller writer. I don't know. And if you tell that to people, they say, you're an idiot. (laughs) And they're right. I'm the last guy on the planet... She should have. You can just replay that part of the tape. I'm the last guy on the yeah. planet that should have a book, okay? I know people that are English lit majors. I know people that mm-hmm. study this stuff. I know people that can tell you things I don't even know exist. They're fine. They're good people. I sit down with them and I say, "Get over yourself. Yeah. Get through the first draft." You know, and they like they look at me like I did something, and I'm like, "No, all I did was I got through the first draft, and I kind of didn't know what I didn't know." You know, you know too much. You're stopping yourself. Yeah. You're worried about punctuation and grammar. <laughs> you don't got a story yet. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 immediate follow up question on on my normal podcast to that, that <laughs> we, we threw the normal podcast out the window. Yeah, yeah, didn't yeah, we? yeah it's <laughs> long gone. Yeah, only we'll, we'll we'll get into some colorful language here in a second to really yeah. get rid of all there of it. Um, the 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 last question I usually ask of, of any author that comes on the show is based on that last response, which you know we'll, we'll go with Jack Ryan. We'll give okay. you Jack Ryan. You got it. Um, based on that last response, um, God forbid it should happen, Tom. Yeah. But if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself murdered, what fictional investigator, revenge artist, or assassin would you want working your case? <laughs> you get um, to pick. Okay. 
Brooke Burrell. <laughs> for those Perfect. of you, for those of you just tuning in, Brooke Burrell is the fictional character that leads his fifth book and number one bestseller. <laughs> it's shameless promotion. Uh, I would say Brooke Burrell. Brooke Burrell for five hundred, please, Alex. Because yeah. she gets she she's a winner, man. She's yeah. kick ass. Yeah. She she sees things other people don't, and she considers the human condition at all times, which is her key. She's wow. not just bang bang boom boom, you know, karate chop. She understands people, and that knowledge of what she does and how she does it is her key to success, which is, if anything, an underlying theme of what I write, which is get back to the people. Yeah. You know, and the same thing I'm saying about writers, get back to your person, get back to your humanity, get back to who you are. Technology is just a prop, you know, in, in a techno thriller, uh-huh, yeah, but it's about people. And I would, ha- I would want her, because I raised her right, yeah. I <laughs> gave her the best, I would trust her with solving the crime, and I know she'd do it, and I know she'd do it on something, as she did in my fifth book, that the entire Swedish police missed. But she found, because she understood how people do things, and said, no, it can't be there, it's gotta be here. And the, the Swedish police were like, how do you do this? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, Tom, this has been an absolute pleasure. I, I'm so grateful that you walked in to try to help me unmess this mess. And, <laughs> Wouldn't it be great know. if it didn't record? Oh my God! Like I, I've, I can't tell you how comfortable I am just seeing all these blue lines. Oh, up okay. The so you, you have positive. Okay, we have we have a check. Yeah, I had to refresh the screen once because it made me panic a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very yeah. much for the opportunity yeah. to yeah. speak about myself. Who wouldn't want to do that? Yeah. And um, lots of luck. And I love what you're doing. I love the fact that you're you're trying to do what this place does, which is help people, give them guidance, show, shine a light open the path I, god bless you and the work you do yeah well you know it's it's um i've only recently really started getting serious about the craft just in the last few years and one of the one of the the best thing that's happened to me so far at, at thriller fest um I, I haven't even told my mom this so i my wife and my producer know but i haven't told my mom yet so she, she won't get to i'll have to call her before i put this out live um but i was standing in the in the lobby um leaving set up yesterday and uh, there's this uh, gentleman sitting. He's actually going to uh, hopefully stop by later for an, an interview. Um, but he's sitting out by the elevators, just left Pitch Fest. And he's looking a little bit down. And I just ended up sitting in the chair next to him for a few minutes, trying to, you know, going to make some phone calls. And in talking to him, he's explaining that, you know, he's here for Pitch Fest. He's trying to get his first book out. And that the, the book that he's writing isn't um isn't doesn't fit inside the box neatly enough and the agent that he met with has said you know um i'm not comfortable representing the book but when someone does i want an autographed copy of this so you know the 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 kid's sitting on something right Mm. you know just maybe not quite right for Mm. you know the market maybe not quite right for that agent it's also subjective right and he's uh he asked me you know if if i was a writer and i I said, well, you know, mostly I'm a retired cop. And, you know, I started writing uh, crime thrillers a couple years ago. And he's like, you have a podcast. Whoa. And, yeah. And I, I told him, like, I'm, I can't even begin to tell you how flattered I am that mm-hmm. somebody I don't know knows about this. That's like, great. you know, that's was phenomenal. So just what, what little bit I know is hopefully helping 
other folks who are a little bit farther down the mountain, you know. So hopefully, paid for you know, it's yeah, it's helping somebody out and uh, keeping me off the streets more than anything else. So you know, it's keep <laughs> keep keeping me out of trouble. You know? So that's really what it's for. That yeah. part made your mom happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, my mom's Thanks happy so about my insurance rating these days. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Tom, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll look forward to getting uh getting all this updated and, and getting some more self-promotional stuff for you out there. And don't forget to send that self-addressed stamped envelope care of Tom. He'll get that title corrected for you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, Tom. Pleasure. Thank you, thank you. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been bestseller Tom Avitable. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.